you don't have to clap. Let me just click uh, start here. I am recording this because, well, when I was in the Suncoast chapter, one of the things that always drove me nuts was when other chapters would have these great presenters, you'd see them, you'd see them on uh, the newsletters or whatever, their websites, you know, such and such expert, and then you go out there, well, you don't go out there, you, you wait to try to hear about it, but they never record it. I, I tried to get people to record their presentations and people are always like really reluctant to do so. But uh, one of the reasons I'm recording it is because even though there's a dozen people here, 10 people, uh, the number of people who will download a podcast are like hundreds. Um, if it's really popular, it could be up to 500. If it's kind of lame, it could be just a, <laughs> you know 200 or something. But still, if you can imagine the audience size, instead of just this room, it could be like a whole auditorium of people depending upon the topic. So. The, the power of, of podcasting really could uh, take off a lot. So I'm going to be talking about two things, though, blogging and podcasting. They both go together really well. Now, first, as, let me just introduce myself a little bit. Uh, as um, Marge was saying, I just moved from, from Florida here about six months ago, actually. And I was working on a contract in Dugway, and now I work for the LDS Church. And there's my colleagues, Ben and Kurt. And, and uh, so we're excited to to just be more active in the STC here, get, get involved. And I know this looks dorky, so, <laughs> so try not to look at it. In the past, we used digital Olympus recorders, but they sound all scratchy. Like, you know, they don't, they don't have really professional-sounding audio. So this is uh, actually uh, my listeners on my blog and podcast pretty much paid for this because I just asked for donations, and, and it was great. So, uh, all right. First, first off, that, yeah, that's pretty clear. What are the arguments for blogging? Because this is where everybody starts. In fact, we kind of have a little blogging family, and we have a seven-year-old, and she has a blog. So uh, we were really excited to get her to start blogging because she can barely type, you know. But it's fun to see the two-sentence posts. But the other day, she was in the kitchen, and she turned to me and said, "Dad, why do we blog?" You know, she had just been blogging for like three days. She said, why, why do we blog? And this is a question I get from tons of people. People who, you know, they, they're aware of blogs. They know that a lot of people have them. And you're, you're writers, so you probably feel like, hey, this is, a, this is a medium where I should excel. Maybe I should start a blog, but I'm not really sure why. A lot of people say, well, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? So I'm just curious. How many people here have a blog already? Raise your hand. So one, two, three, but. Four, four or five. Okay, so that's good. I'm trying to know my audience here a little better. One of the the most compelling reasons I think people should get into blogging. Well, well, not really should, but could get into blogging is that it's a writer's paradise. This is a medium where what you type, what you write, short essays, op-ed type feel op-ed. Ah op-ed type pieces. This is, this is really the format where all of these um, opportunities are. And especially, I mean, if you're a writer, blogging is just writing. It's not as if I'm trying to convince people to go into film or trying to get people to become a mechanic. You already are all writers. So uh, I often find it ironic that, that you know, people approach me and say, 
eh, I don't really think I'm going to get into blogging. Just, you know, what's in it for me? And, and here they are. Uh, they probably went to school, majored in English or something, and, and haven't really written their novel or whatever. So, so this is an opportunity for you to really get in there and, and write. I mean, uh, I majored in English at BYU, and then I got a master's in creative nonfiction at Columbia, and I thought, oh, I'm going to be this big magazine writer and go publish a bunch of essays. And, and I tried, and it didn't really take off, and then I realized that I needed to make money to support a family and myself, and so I ended up in technical writing. And technical writing is, is as you know, kind of kind of a little bit dry and boring. It's not really creatively fulfilling. So, so having a blog is like an escape mechanism where you can suddenly break out of all your this dry procedural writing all day and express your creative side, and still have it be something um, something that matters and something that that is fulfilling. Um, but but more than just like. More than just writing, blogging adds an entirely new element. Because you can sit down and you can write your fiction novel or whatever you want to write on your computer in Microsoft Word, but blogging adds a new, new element to it. You suddenly have this element of interactivity. So when you sit down and write a post one night, you can wake up in the morning and suddenly you have like three comments. You have people who've quoted you on their blogs you have people who write and ask you questions. There's an immediate response sometimes. Not all, not all the time, but sometimes there is an immediate response, and that, is, that makes writing a lot more fun. I, um, yeah, I mean, the number of comments that you, you get from a, from a printed piece in a, in a journal or magazine is just very small in number compared to what you get from a popular post on a blog. So there are a lot of... Um, Benefits to writing in an online medium. It's more fun, it's interactive, immediate rewards. You're participating, you're actually writing and publishing rather than just sending manuscripts off to get hopefully published after months of review. So, now, anytime during this, this uh, presentation, I want you to just raise your hand and ask questions. Don't feel like I have to get through some kind of slides. In fact, I don't have, I tried to make my, my slides really just little pictures that are kind of in the backdrop. So, um, I'm open to tangents or whatever questions you have. So, anybody have any questions right now? Dan. Just as a naive non-blogger, you know, I, I can't even get our trainers to read the user manual so they can do their training stuff. Why would someone come and read my blog when there's 200 million other ones? Okay, so you're, you're asking, why would a, a user... Or how would they even know there was one? So, how would a user know that you have a blog or why would they read it? Okay. Now... One of the things about blogs is that 80% of the hits to your blog are through searches on Google. So if you're writing about a product and you have a bunch of keywords related to that product and, and you've got it you know, online, when people have problems and they're, they're trying to find things, they're going to find your blog. Because blogs are they're indexed along with all the other Google content. It's not like they're relegated to a lower status and you don't really find them. If you write a post... And I'm going to get, in, get into this a little bit later. But if you write a post, let's say your product is, uh, I don't know, let's say you're, you work at Madcap Flare, and you, you're writing a blog about Madcap Flare, and you suddenly have that in your title, and there's all these users who have these problems, and they Google them. Because people, people use Google to, to find answers, right? Your blog's going to appear on the first page, and, and you're going to be visible through the search results. 
We'll, we'll get into that more a little bit later. Okay, who reads blogs and how? Uh, this is actually, this is a picture of Heidi Hansen. She was my co-host for a while when I had a co-host. And this is a, a screenshot of Google Reader. How many of you guys read feeds in an RSS reader? Just any reader. One, two, three. Okay. What, what feed readers do you guys use, can I ask? On my BlackBerry, I use Vigo. Okay. How about you? I'm not sure. I just sign up for it. Okay. Okay. Um, I use Safari and Okay, so you use Safari and Internet Explorer and the built-in readers in those? So, all right. The, the, the feed reader component, I think, is the most important element of blogging because no one will argue that there's a lot of junk that bloggers publish. And if you had to sift through 200 million blogs to try to find good articles, uh, it would just be time-consuming. I mean... Imagine having a long list of links. Let's say you bookmarked your 30 favorite sites and you want to go check them. You'd have to go and individually click on each one. It would take forever and you'd, you'd time out. Your patience would time out because you wouldn't find anything interesting and you say, blogging is, uh, is not worth my time. But the feed reader is the way that blogs should be consumed and actually all media should be consumed. What this does is, is basically... Slurp your, con slurp your content out of your site and send it across to whatever RSS readers are, are pinging your, uh, your host or something, and they, they suck in your content. So you suddenly have this separation of format and content. And so I often read feeds on my BlackBerry. If you read my post today, you see that, that I, that's what I was talking about. Um, so, yes? Excuse me, tell us what RSS means. Okay, RSS is really simple syndication or rich site summary. It's one of those acronyms that's kind of nobody knows for sure. But whenever you write a post on a blog, such as WordPress, Blogger, anything, it automatically will generate an RSS feed for your content. So when you're surfing around, you land on somebody's blog, and you see the little orange, let me go back. You see the little orange thing up there? I was actually going to put this at the top of every slide because I think it's so important. That means it has an RSS feed. So, and if you're, if you're using Firefox in the little browser, it automatically has one of those either active in orange for ones that have sites that have feeds or gray and inactive for sites that don't. So you see that, and you, I really recommend Google Reader. Uh, once you subscribe, you suddenly get a list of feeds, and then you can just scan down the titles. So, for example, if you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, is there anything interesting to read? You just scan right down the titles, and maybe one in 20 posts jumps out at you. But the thing is, you, you may have, like, 200 feeds in there. So you have a lot more selection to choose from. And so even if the, the quality to the quality, uh, the ratio of good stuff out there is pretty low, if you have a super huge amount of posts to choose from, feeds to look through, then it, it works out in your favor. And I actually argue that um, the way feeds are going, the way information is being published, the intercom is going to be outdated because you'll be able to find 200 or, or at least 20 or 30 good reads related to technical writing or technical communication 
per the five articles per month in Intercom or something. So now you can take this a step further. So notice that she appears as a friend. So if, if you if I'm in your Google Talk as a friend, you you will see me in your Google Reader right here. So uh, this is a way that like human aggregation can work in your favor. Ben. Can we take a step back? How, how do we get to Google Reader? Is that, is that a free thing? Yeah, it's a totally free thing. So if you sign up for a Gmail account and you look at that top row where you have other Google products, there's one that says Reader. And, and really that's a, a great one to use because not only um, is it free, and if you use Gmail, you, probably, you already have access to it, but at the bottom of each post, you have an option to share it. So if I click share, it's going to appear in everybody who's, who, who I'm a friend in their Google Talk, and it will appear there. So let's say I look through 20 feeds, and I find, or let's say I look through 100 feeds over the course of two days, and I find three that are good. Well, suddenly you go to your Google Reader, and you just look at the three that I already found. So this filtering by human selection is, can be really powerful. And there's a new, there are these new like, products coming up, these um, mashups. So this one called ReadBurner takes and looks at all of the feeds across every Google Reader, everybody who has Google Reader and who clicks the share, the share link below a post, and then it aggregates them. So this top one, for example, 25 people have shared it. Uh, Google relaunches Jotspot. Did you guys hear about that? Yeah, see? So, uh, (laughs) Kurt's heard about it. Anybody else heard about it? All right, this is on the top of like all the techie sites. This is another thing about blogging. You get immediate news. So Jotspot, it's a wiki. uh, It was a wiki tool that Google bought like a year ago, and they've been working on it forever. And they finally released it. So now when you have the Google Suite, you not only have Google Docs and spreadsheets, but now you have wikis, and there's also a presentation tool. So it's kind of a, it's noteworthy, and it rises to the top. And you can sort by, by the most popular, popular by the week, things like that. So have any of you heard of Dig? Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's kind of, some people are like, oh, I don't really want to admit that. <laughs> no. I got burned on the jock thing, so. Okay. <laughs> Well, Dig is, Dig is a site that kind of works similar. People submit stories, and they vote on them, and then the cool ones rise to the surface. But this one is kind of like invisible voting. Just people who randomly share the same post causes one to rise to the surface. So where's Dig? Is that D-I-G? D-I-G-G. And they do have a podcast, since you're into podcasting, called Dig Nation. But it's a little crass. But it's funny at times. <laughs> All right, any questions? any questions about, like, Google Reader? There are other readers. Shannon. I, say, I know a lot of people really like the Yahoo Reader, too. So if you already have a Yahoo account, you can do that. Yeah. And then um, besides Dignation or Dig, there's also like StumbleIt and StumbleUpon or other, lots of other aggregation sites. Yeah. There's all, I mean, this whole social media phenomenon has, has dozens. And, and just to plug Vigo on my BlackBerry, that only shows me the sites that I want, the, the, the blogs that I'm interested in reading. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, it's only have ten or fifteen on there that I carry on uh, my BlackBerry, so it's it's a different approach uh, than an aggregator. So you have you use a different feed reader on your BlackBerry, so you're not overwhelmed exactly. by reading feeds on your BlackBerry. You use Vigo. Okay, yeah. that's good. Um, you mentioned that you lose formatting, so that's just plain text. Is that right? No. You you lose well. When you said you slurp your site. You yeah, you you you, you, you retain. Uh, you retain like links and images and formatting, but 
it's everybody's is formatted the same. So everybody's is in 12 aerial or 10 aerial or whatever you want to set it as. Oh, okay. so and whatever it, your browser set at. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got it. So this is a this leads to another point in that like content being separated from the design and things like that, suddenly your, your cool looking website with the flash and all kinds of things becomes a little bit irrelevant. In fact, I took a, I did a survey on my blog to see how people read it, and 65% of people read it through the feed reader. And so that means that I was thinking about buying a, a really cool theme, uh, spending $100 and getting a, a professional looking one, and I'm thinking, well, they won't, a lot of people won't even see it. Oh. Shannon. I read someone's blog said that like if you do start a blog and you want people to read your feed, um, you can tell it whether to slurp just the first paragraph or to slurp your entire post. And she said she only reads ones in her feed reader if they slurp the entire post, which is kind of weird because you think some people would prefer just to see a little bit, you know, a teaser or something. And she said she also has to see a picture. It has to be the full thing and there has to be a picture that she can see, otherwise she's just not interested. Yeah, that, that's uh, an interesting point. I, I subscribe to Wired News, for example. And Wired News only puts out the first paragraph. In fact, sometimes I think they tweak the first paragraph to make it enticing. <laughs> then you have to go all the way to their site, and on my BlackBerry, it's a pain. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. I, in fact, I've really noticed that on the BlackBerry. It takes like three or four seconds to load every feed you click, and then you suddenly realize, well, they, they've cut it off after the third sentence. It's like, come on. There are ways, I mean, if you're looking to figure out how to get your full feed in there, there are lots of plugins. All right, now I want to move into the, the controversy. Last, last year, I was at the STC conference, and there was this guy, this big, like, Swedish pr- professor. I don't know where he was from, but he had, a, he had a, like, a, an accent. And uh, <laughs> I'm not very good at figuring out where that might be from. But he was talking about the psychoanalytics of Web 2.0. It sounded really cool. And people started talking about like all the liabilities of participating in, in blogs and forums and other kinds of things and how you could employers could fire you and you could suddenly have your reputation go downhill. People will Google you and they'll find you and they'll see what kind of crazy things you've been posting. You'll never be hired. And the whole I was just I was floored because or I was um, my my jaw was hanging open because literally the people took over the discussion and it was all moving towards like fear of of online transparency and uh in fact it even went to oh i won't go there never mind okay and since i mentioned it so the guy somebody said somebody said so what about uh what if you have like you know your family history tree on there is that okay is that safe or is that like dangerous and the guy had the gall to say well well it could be that uh, Mormons discover your site and do baptisms for the dead for them. <laughs> so I was, I was dying about that. So anyway, this is a recent article. How many of you guys heard about this? Uh, Ches Pazienza, a CNN producer who was fired for blogging. You heard about it? So this is, this is recent, like a couple weeks ago. And, you know, when you hear that people are fired for blogging, sometimes you think, ah, oh, there's just some morons that are, like, writing rants about their boss. Of course they should be fired. So I was like, oh, I better read about it. So I started reading him, and he turned out to be uh, really a polished writer. Like, he was, he was a professional writer. I mean, he worked at CNN. He was a producer. He was no idiot. And uh, he just happened to have some bold opinions, that's all, about general interest topics, because he's kind of in the general interest, interest sphere. And CNN felt that uh, his viewpoints on his blog were kind of too liberal or too radical for him to continue to be like a CNN representative or a CNN employee, even though he 
didn't ever claim you know, to represent CNN on his blog. So, so there's some danger about blogging. And, and most people have this in their minds is that, well, what could happen if I post this publish or post this, this uh, experience about this crazy thing that happened at work today or something? But if you're careful, I think that, that really the liabilities of blogging are like, uh, it's almost like uh, somebody being afraid to go drive a car because they could get in a car accident, you know, and so they're going to stay at home. The benefits of driving a car far outweigh the, the risks that you're going to encounter. So the same is with blogging. If you are a professional person and you have in mind that your boss is going to read your, your posts, or your future employers are going to be Googling you, so you don't want to write anything that embarrasses you or that, I mean, you don't want to write something where you just let it all hang out and hope that nobody discovers you because if they do, you're, you're never going to see another job. So if you keep it professional, and, and uh, well, he did keep it for professional. That's why I'm thinking. <laughs> Kurt. Okay. So you tell me if you have time for the Gawker blogger horror story. No, go, go ahead. Okay. Tell me. You, you, who knows what Gawker is? It's a New York City gossip blog, and it's actually fairly cutting edge as far as numbers of readership and, and kinds of formatting stuff. Two of the bloggers fell in love clandestinely at work. One of them started another blog about the relationship. <laughs> the other blogger found the other blog about the relationship. They broke up and they both quit. <laughs> and, and the response was from, from one of the bloggers, well, I'm a blogger. What did you expect? I wasn't going to write about my life? <laughs> so, there you go. Hey, that's a, that's a good one. I hey, didn't hear about that. <laughs> well, you know, actually, it's... it's uh, I'm really excited that like Kurt is here and that he's also a blogger because he's my boss. So like he reads my blog and I, I try to keep up with his blog too. And I, I feel like if you're in a place where you're not trying to hide your blog, uh, you know, then you, then you'll feel safe. You definitely want to clarify if like your employment says, you know, absolutely no communication outside of regulated mediums. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. All right, now let's get into my well, not my favorite topic, but. Yeah. Still, the car thing, uh, you know, if somebody were to look up how I drove last Thursday when I was in a hurry, you know, I mean, they can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So, how many of you guys have not started, let me go back one. How many of you have not started a blog because you fear that, no, because you fear that it's going to jeopardize your employment? Okay. I personally think that it has the opposite effect. When you have a blog, you demonstrate to your employer that you know something, that you are actually an intelligent person. Whereas other candidates, if they're sorting through a pile of resumes, they're just names and however they present themselves on their resume. But if you've got a blog that's on the t- on your career topic, you know what you're actually seeking employment about, you really stand out because people can get a good sense of you. You come ac- if you're a good writer anyway. If you're a bad writer, it's going to be yeah, it's not going to go well for you. But if you're a good writer, it can definitely put you a level above. So that's why I uh, I was so stunned at that STC conference that all these people were, were were shying away from something that could really help them. So let's say you're convinced that you want to start a blog, that you uh, or a podcast, whatever, and uh, trying to figure out what the best platform is. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds. There's well, why don't you tell me ones that you've heard of? What what? I'm a live journal user. 
Okay, there's LiveJournal. Any others that you've heard of? Blog platforms? Blogger. Blogger, Blogspot, same thing. Okay, any any others? WordPress. <laughs> WordPress. So this is this is a picture I found online, where somebody took a like a Halo image and put WordPress in it. But WordPress is kind of like the Harley, in my opinion, it's kind of like the Harley of of blogs. I used to ride a motorcycle, but it wasn't a Harley. It was like a Yamaha. Whenever I passed a, a Harley, they, they didn't, never waved to me. They were like <laughs> too cool to wave to a guy in a Yamaha. And I think WordPress, self-hosted WordPress blogs, kind of have the same aura. The people who are really into them kind of have a, they, they kind of get a little snobbish about it, you know, like the elitist platform, because it's 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 more of a techie platform. You can get right into the code. You can you can break it entirely so that you spend like weeks trying to figure out how to fix it. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm sounding negative about WordPress. Actually, I think it's the best one out there. Uh, but it really depends on who you are and what you like to do. Let's say that you don't ever want to have to see code. Don't worry about the fact that you don't want to worry about messing up and seeing an error and, and not seeing anything on your blog. Well, you may not want to like do your own self-hosted WordPress blog. If you just want a really easy setup, I recommend going to WordPress.com. So there's there's two blogs. There's WordPress.com and WordPress.org. .com is like the free hosted ones where you just sign up and you've got a blog, but it says like uh, John.WordPress.com. But if you go to WordPress.org, you can download all the all the files and you get a web host for seven bucks a month, like Bluehost, which is a norm. They're really good. And then you you upload your files and then you can control everything. You can, you can change your theme to be whatever it is. You can modify your, your style sheet, tweak it however you want. And here's the big one. You can put ads on it. So if you go to WordPress.com, you actually can't put ads on your site. So in fact, they will delete your blog if you do. Yeah? You can put ads on like typehouted bloggers. Yeah, yeah. So the other platforms, Blogger is really popular. Uh, I personally have some issues with it. I don't really like how it handles comments. I think that it's kind of really shorthanded that but that said my stance is that you should focus on the content not the technology it's kurt my, my original blog was on blogger yeah and and i messed with it for a while and this is probably four years ago and, and i really did not get into it yeah at blogger but uh, but you know you were talking about simple platform for blogging my journal is so yeah easy. if you want it to be you can css in depth if you want now they're they're Live Journal is made by Movable Type, right? It's now owned by Movable Type. Um, okay. Uh, they bought Live Journal maybe 18 months ago. So Movable Type is another one. It's really popular in Japan, but uh, it, it used to cost money, and now it's free if you have like a personal version on it. So whatever platform you use, remember that technology changes, and people really don't look at your blog design. Most blog designs kind of look kind of look amateur, you know, and you realize you're on a blog. <laughs> But the, the content is what's important. There, there are top, um, if you look at the top 100 blogs, there are a lot from WordPress, Blogspot, and Movable Type. So whatever you choose, uh, choose something that suits you. But WordPress.com is my recommendation if you don't want code problems um, or code uh, adventures. Now, I was asking my friend Clyde, see, at the Suncoast chapter, he, he was somebody who was asking me about blogging. He's the guy who said, what's in it for me? And um, actually, before I get into the story, did anybody have any questions about the whole WordPress platform thing? Yeah. 
Ben. Actually, this is taking a step back. So yeah. Um, do you recommend blogging about your feel or because you know you, I don't think you hear of anybody who has more than two blogs. I think you said to me you probably don't want yeah to do very many. All right. So, actually, what, this. So what those kinds of things? What are your recommendations about that? All right. So actually, my story about Clyde includes a great answer to that. So Clyde is a. Uh, He's a, actually now the Suncoast chapter president, and he was getting into blogging one day, he, or he was thinking about getting into blogging. He said, well, what's in it for me? And I was like, well, you get to write, you get to build networks, you get to do this and that. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll try it. And I said, well, you, you know, do it about technical communication or, or something you're passionate about. And he had like several different focuses. He liked music. He kind of liked tech com. He also has uh, an interest in like, I don't really know how to classify it, some kind of self-help confidence thing <laughs> and um so he started getting into blogging i'm not doing him justice with that last one i don't know what it was he's totally gonna listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i emailed him today to follow up with something and uh, so he started in the first he, he had like two blogs he had one on music and he had one on technical communication and he was trying to like do do both they're totally separate sites after about a month he realized he couldn't do both so he decided to f- drop one and just focus on, on the other. And then like a month later, he switched topics entirely and went into this uh, more nat- different, different field. And I said, well, what'd you, what's your experience with blogging? And he said, you know, once I figured out what I was passionate about, then it got better. So if you're not, and this is a, this is a part of the crux, if you're not really passionate about technical communication, you may, you may not want to start a blog on technical communication. And... A lot of people just view technical writing as a nine-to-five job, and, and if your interests are like in poetry or music, definitely pursue that in, in the blogging. However, I say this with, with some hesitation because if you have a blog on poetry and you're trying to advance your career in technical writing, technical communication, and promote yourself as like an expert, the blog is not going to do much for you. So there's a trade-off. Um, I mean, I I like topics of technical uh, communication and things like that. But my blog's not just a technical writing blog. I talk about other things. So as long as you have like a general focus, it's okay to stray off the path a little bit. As long as you kind of have a, a general goal, you can take different routes down it. Does anybody have any thoughts on blog focuses? Shannon? I think there's like two different kinds of blogs. There's like personality blogs where there's some people that I would read if they were talking about anything. You know, and there are some blogs you go to because they have good recipes, or they have good tips for parenting, or they have good. You know what I mean? You go for what you can get out of them, like specific information. But also, a lot of people I think start out as a really focused people. Maybe not necessarily professional blogs, but they start out with a really good focus, and then they get a following. And then as soon as you get a following, you can start bringing in more personal stuff and more, because people are already interested, now they're interested in who you are as a person, and they'll keep reading, as long as you keep weaving in your focus stuff. Yeah, the, what she said about having personality in your blog is something that draws huge appeal. And, and yeah, they're like information blogs where people are just pumping out information about something, but... But when people read blogs, you want to see, you want to actually see the, the human side of it. In fact, when people, when I go to a blog and there's no about page and you can't find out who the heck the writer is, it's my biggest pet peeve because it would be like hearing, reading somebody or hearing somebody for 20 minutes and not knowing who they are or if they don't disclose who they are. But notice this TechCrunch, okay? This is like the most popular blog. 
has 679,000 readers, which is mind-boggling. I don't know any site that has more than this. They always have like the first scoop on things. This is the Michael Arrington guy, who's who's apparently a really big name in in tech circles. And how do you, the question is how do you gain 600,000 readers? I mean, how do you gain 600 readers or even 60 readers? This is this is another comment Clyde had. He said, you know, it's a good payoff. It's, he likes the payoff. That's the term he used when people comment and you build this community of readers. But when you write something and nobody reads it and nobody comments on it and you like have 10 hits and they're probably all from Google bots or something, uh, just indexing your site, <laughs> yeah, it can it can be kind of depressing and it can take the take the wind out of your sails. Um, so there's a certain patience that you have to have when you're blogging. You, it takes time to build up readers. There's a, we went to the, Shannon and I went to this WordPress meetup where the founder of WordPress was actually in Salt Lake City. And we met these two people that totally made all their, their money off blogs. Or, actually, they weren't, it wasn't just a blog site. It was actually a quotation site of all things. Yeah, they made a complete living, and there are lots of people who do. There are pro bloggers, people who just blog. Those people because it started in 1994. Yeah, they started in. How do you make money? Okay, so they started in 1994, and they have ads, and they get 200,000 hits a day. Yes. So the, I don't know if Mike Arrington does, like, a, if he does this blog on the side and has a real job. I kind of doubt it. If you have this many readers, and you put up some ads, you're going to generate a lot of revenue. He's going to have employees. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you can have guest bloggers come and write posts for you because they're so excited to get exposure. In fact, that's one way to gain more readers. If you go to like a really cool blog site and say, hey, I've got this really nice post. Would you like to publish it on your site? Just give me attribution and a link. You could, you could, uh, you're smiling. Why are you smiling? <laughs> I have a friend. Yeah. Who is going to be, and I helped her write her post, and she's going to be a guest blogger on Chic Critique. It's a beauty blog. Everybody read that. <laughs> Critique, but it's really cool because her personal blog does not get that many hits. She's for friends and family, basically. But she's gonna she wrote this beauty product review, and yeah, it'll be amazing to see what, how the hits increase. So, so yeah, this is one of the techniques to gain readership. I've never done the guest blogging thing, but I think it would be a great a great um, thing. I mean, I see it all the time. Now, the cool thing about readership, and by the way, if you want a little chiclet like that, that's what they're called to display your number of readers, feed burner is the best way to do it. That's really the only way that I've ever seen it done. But the good thing about readers is that the more readers you get, the more fun it is to write blog posts because you get more comments, you get more hits, people like, interact more with you. So as your readership increases, so does your desire to write. And as your desire to write increases, you write more, so you get more readers, and it just kind of they work together. Can I, can I tangentially answer Anne's question? Yeah. The more readers you get, and you can prove it through hits, right. then you can go out and find ads. Because you have justification for the fact that your blog is getting hits. How do you find ads? Well, You're going to have to find ads. Now, here's the thing. Google AdSense is, is usually looked at as like the staple way to get ads. Personally, I've tried it several times. I've never made more than 10 or 20 bucks. I've never left it on for more than a month, but... For $20 to have ads like plastered on my site, it just wasn't worth it to me. So I decided to take a different route. I said, okay, I've got, I've got like 900 people subscribed. So that's kind of powerful in the tech writing niche. But in other circles, it's like nothing. But uh, 
So I, I approached different people whose products I wanted. I said, I, I would really like a copy of Madcap Flare. I'd really like a copy of Camtasia Studio. I'd really like a copy of the new Adobe Technical Communication Suite for my own personal use and free licenses forever. And I will put little ads on my site and little ads in my podcasts promoting you. And it worked. People said, okay, because they don't have to shell out money. A lot of times they have review copies that they can distribute anyway. And it makes, it makes good sense from a company point of view, because once I start playing around with their product and I write about it, they're suddenly getting search engine visibility. So, in fact, there's a guy who, uh, Scott Oberkirk, or no, Oberkin, uh, Birkin, there we go, Scott Birkin. Uh, Oberkirk's a podcaster guy. So this Scott Birkin guy, uh, he saw that I had, I was interested in his book, and he actually just sent me a free copy. And I was like, why are you sending me a free copy of your book? And I thought, oh, it's going to be a pamphlet. That was like a nice hardbound book on the myths of innovation. And something that you'd pay 20 bucks for at Barnes & Noble. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's a nice gesture. Then I started to quote from it on my blog and kind of worked in little excerpts and talked about it. And then one day I said, I listened to this podcast by, by this Wired, uh, Wired Magazine CEO. And he said, when they want to promote a product, they'll pump out like 800 free copies to the blogosphere, and they'll generate mass buzz about the product. So, you know, there, there are benefits for companies to, to get their products out to, to people who are going to write about them and get them in Google. Google. Because if you're not in Google, I mean, you lose so much. It's, it's, people look at Google as, a, as an online reputation manager. In fact... Uh, you know, that can work for you or against you. There's a lady who... Uh, I don't want to go with this. Anyway, uh, okay, I guess I can't do that, can I? There's this lady who was like a New York Times reporter, and she, she was kind of pushy, I guess, with one person. Well, he didn't like her, and he wrote a really obscene post with her name on the top. And now every time she tries to go, like, uh, ask somebody for an interview, and they Google her, they're, they're like, hmm, hesitant. So... But this comes... This comes in back to the power in search results. I think bloggers have a tremendous amount of power. So here, if you can see, that, you probably can't see this, but this is a search result, a search for Madcap Flare. I was talking about this earlier. And just Google. These are the top, search, the top results. Okay, these are sponsored ads. They don't count. First you get Madcap. Then you get another Madcap site. Then you get two posts from my site. So now anybody who's searching for Madcap Flare... He's gonna, they're going to find this. And now I have one that says six persistent flare problems, which was actually a post by somebody else. And it, it looks negative at first, but when you read it, you suddenly realize that um, they've corrected everything, so they look like a really responsive company. But then the next one is the interview I did with the guy whose post I was actually quoting. So as more people link back to you, you gain more Google power. And after a while, uh, Google s- recognizes you as the authority so whatever you write about suddenly is, is cranked up in the search results. And if you, if you uh, put the keywords right in your post, for example, I've got Madcap Flare as the first two words in the title and the first two words in the first paragraph, and basically that is how you want to search engine optimize your content, by stacking those keywords right up front in a readable way. And there are, there are ways to get around that um, through some plugins, but... Like if you if you wanted to have a different title that Google sees versus what readers see, you can do that through a WordPress SEO plugin. But once you start 
getting more power, there's a sense of, uh, there's a sense of, um, I don't know, there, there's a sense of power. For example, I know that if um, I want to <clears throat> make somebody visible, I just write a post with their name in the top, and then suddenly every time I search for that person, I always find them. So um, as, as you gain more search results, you can do more. You can get more ads. You can get more money. You can try to monetize things. Any questions about this so far? Anything? Okay. Am I going too fast? or No? All right. So now I want to get into podcasts. All right. How, raise your hand if you've listened to a podcast. Oh, we got it like half, half, more than half. Okay. Well, that's good. So how do, do you have iPods? Raise your hand if you have an iPod. Okay. Raise your hand if you listen to podcasts just at your computer. Like you click a play. Oh, okay. So, so I did a poll on my site because I was trying to figure out how people listen to podcasts and quite a few actually listen at their computer. And uh, although this person I have, a picture, I have no idea who she is. She's <laughs> cool images. But she's running and listening to perhaps a podcast. A lot of people um, get turned off by podcasts when they say, well, I don't want to just sit there and listen to this. I don't have time for this. There was a guy who told me that, and he was just so uninterested. And the thing is, podcasts are, are meant to be consumed on the go or while you're doing something that doesn't require much brain power. Like if you're reformatting a 100-page document, you know, find some podcasts to listen to. <laughs> yeah. And... That highly rewarding, brainless activity. Yeah. <laughs> so you can be sitting there working on the computer for hours listening to podcasts. Now, the other place where you listen to a lot of podcasts is in the car. So when I was commuting out to Dugway, which was quite a commute, especially at like 4 a.m. <laughs> through the mountains, I would listen to like two hours of podcasts. And this is an FM transmitter, broken, but... And they're expensive too, like they're fifty or sixty dollars. But you plug this into your car's cigarette lighter, and then you attach. And this is if you have like an older car, newer cars sometimes just have like an MP3 jack. Then you plug this into your little MP3 player. I've had this one for two years now, and then it plays the podcast through your car speakers. And it's pretty common. Like iPods, they have their own little deal, but it's, it's essentially some kind of transmitter. So once you, you hook this up, you're suddenly able to listen to a lot of audio content while you're driving. And if you drive a lot, it's worth it. NPR is on there. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of like general interest podcasts, tons of tech podcasts. One that I really like is called uh, This Week in Tech, Twit, with this guy named Leo Laporte. He's, he's just, uh, there are lots of things. It depends what your interest is. is. Anne was mentioning patio books, which are like unpublished authors reading their books. You can go to the site called Levervox, or Librebox. I can never remember how to spell it, but people read chapters of books that are no longer in the public domain. So you can, you can listen to um, James Joyce's Ulysses, for example, which, you know, if you, if you can... Yeah, you can listen to a lot of stuff. But uh, I did want to briefly touch on how to record audio because this is where a lot of chapters say, hey, can you record your presentation? They're like, uh, what? I don't know how to do it. So um, there are a lot of different method- methods. The easiest one, if you're on a tight budget and you only have $100, 
or 110 or 20, go to Radio Shack and get this little Olympus digital recorder and then ask them where their lapel mics are and plug it in and you'll get decent sound. It'll sound scratchy, but since it's uh, mounted right near their voice box or whatever, right near their mouth, it sounds okay. And <clears throat> that's what we use for the Suncoast chapter a lot. Can I Kurt? just jump in with my music hat on? You can go get... Um a free application called Audacity. Yeah. It's a music yes. software piece, but you can use that to clean out some of the pops. Yeah, definitely. It will. Yeah. Definitely. If you're editing audio, Audacity is, is free, and it's easy to use fairly. And it's really, I think, what most podcasters use. Now, if you want to step up a level, or if let's say you record a lot of audio visual or tutorials, and you want to have like better voice, because... No doubt some of you do like Captivate or Camtasia demos. And uh, you can use this Zoom. This is called a Zoom H4 recorder. You can use this as an audio interface. So you basically attach a USB cord from there to your computer, tell your computer to use that as the microphone, and your audio quality shoots up like 200%. And there's little tripods you can set them on, so different ways you can record things. I've just recently been doing more video tutorials, and uh, I found it really helpful. It is more expensive. It's like a $300 piece of equipment, but if you do audio, you can do car casts where you kind of talk while you drive, which is always fun. Try not to, like, run into anybody. Uh, you, can do, you, can, you, can, you can do a lot of different things with podcasts. You can have a co-host. You can do, like, single ones. There's also something called Jing, which is fun. Have any of you heard of Jing? <laughs> Ben's shaking his head because I, I was like talking about it. You've heard of it? Okay. Oh, okay. So if you're on my blog. So let's say that you have a blog and you want to try, you want to start putting some audiovisual stuff on there, but you don't want to really, you don't want to buy anything. You don't have any cool software recording stuff. Well, this is totally free. It's really easy to use. They give you free hosting for it. You just hit record and, and basically you could grab your screen and start recording and share it really, really well. So if you're looking to embed audio visual stuff in your blog, check that out. It's by TechSmith, so it's good. And if you're trying to record interviews, use Pamela. This is a terrible name for software, but that's what it's called, Pamela Systems. It records Skype conversations. And so if you're, if you're ever going to do like a phone interview, you definitely want to use Skype. Skype. Skype is uh, it's like calling on the phone over your inter- over your computer. So you get your headset out and you download the Skype application, you punch in the number, and then it calls another computer or a phone, but you, you use your computer through it. It's called voice over IP. Okay. But I didn't know that's what Skype is. Yeah. So Pamela Pamela software Pamela Systems thing is, you, if, if you just search for Pamela, you're never, you're never going to find it. You have, to, like, you have to add some keywords. So PamelaSystems.com, um, they have a, a great application that records Skype conversations. And it works pretty well. So if, you're, if you want to do that, I encourage you to go that route. A lot of people just don't have time for podcasting. And to be honest, I've had less and less time for it because I've just been, uh, haven't had to commute a long ways. Um, it can be more difficult to like generate and set up audio, but it's a lot more of an intimate experience. You're hearing somebody's voice right inside your head for an extended period of time, and and it can be really a powerful way to learn while you're 
doing things. I've, I've even tried to listen to podcasts while mowing the lawn, but it didn't quite work. It's too loud. <laughs> You can't listen to it while you're back in the No, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do I have any questions so far? All right. We, we already covered this a little bit, but this is just a slide that shows Google Ads. So if you, if you do want to try Google Ads, this is what they look like. They, they look like that. And if you click on anybody's Google Ads, they'll probably earn a dime or something. <laughs> you know, so, so that's a way to... But I think that that would be disconcerting to the audience to have it in the middle of your blog. I thought that the ads then were going to like stay out on the side. You can choose where you put them. Because I think that's awful. Well, I was reading something down, read, 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 and then all of a sudden I'm in an ad. It makes me... Yeah. There's another ad. Well, the thing is people will more likely click them if they're right there. Right, an interesting right. thing about ads. Audience, interesting thing about ads. Well, Shannon, why don't you explain what Laura Moncur says? Well, the most fascinating, the person, the quotations page person who makes, uh, they make their entire living off their ads, is you make money from your ads not through your readers. Because your readers come to your site because they're looking for your content. What happens if you have ads is people get to you through Google, and then they're looking on your site, and they don't see what they want on your site, so they click through an ad. So, I mean, it's, it, to me, yeah, that was, like, crazy. Like, you're, you don't, you know, you don't make money from your readers. You look, so she has a, a thing called Starling Fitness, where they have fitness tips and everything. And she's totally for a natural, you know, eat less, exercise more. You know, it's very good advice, right? And then she'll have Google ads for diet pills and stuff. And I, and I asked her, I said, don't you feel kind of bad? I mean, really? like, yeah. I mean because okay. you, you don't want to encourage people. And crash dieting is not the way to go. And she said, she said, you know, she feels okay about it because the ads support her blog. So she's able to give the good advice. You know, otherwise she wouldn't have the time to give the good advice and stuff. So it's whatever. It works out. But so people Google, you know, fitness or whatever. And since she's been doing it for so long, she's way up there on the Google um, results. And so they click on it and they get to her site and they're like, I don't want to exercise more. I want to eat the diet ad. And they, the, the diet yeah. So they click on the ad. So it's, I think it's crazy. But That's called socially relevant advertising. based on what the audience wants right, right, rather right. than what they well, say I mean, they want. All advertising. <laughs> right? That's all advertising. Because everybody right? because says that's good advice, really but are. two months after following it, yeah. they're looking at that piece well, of chocolate cake. The cars will make you sexy and stuff. I mean, yeah. that's how all ads are. I can right? totally so. see how that. She's probably making a lot of money. And the other thing, she said something that was really interesting about when you're talking about how many blogs do you want to have or your blog focus or something. She has the quotations page and then she has the Starling Fitness and then she has her own personal blog. And I, for me, it's like I only have so much energy for writing or so much creativity. I'm, I'm almost afraid. I don't want to spend all my creativity <laughs> and she said that it's the opposite for her. She writes her creative fiction or her creative, these are, this is how I feel. And that makes it possible for her to have the energy to write the dry. Oh, I can see know, how that could work because kind of um, as a creative writer also, I do that when I'm not tech writing. Um, they, they t- all the time, everybody tells you you're supposed to keep a journal. You don't keep a journal, you're not a serious creative writer. Yes. As far as everybody's concerned. And so, as you, and then and again, in our writers group, we have done a moment. We're having another, yet another presentation in another month about journaling. Okay? Because, I mean, it's always the topic. Well, you know, if, if, you, if you do journal, it really does get your energy going that way. And then, when the afternoon comes and you're going to do creative writing, 
you can actually just kind of keep going. It's kind of an extension of what you were doing at five o'clock in the morning when you did your right. page of journaling. And so I can see where blogging could do the same thing. Well, yeah, exactly. Because blogging could be your journal. I mean, so yes. and then and then if you it, in its essence, that's what yeah. it is. Well, if you want to feel like you don't want to waste your time writing for no one, that's right? You write on your blog and it's writing for people, but it's also for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've noticed that. Like if you write posts regularly, it gives you more creati creativity I than if you don't. Good. So I mean, there's value to just writing something in a journal. But yeah, I mean, I was really busy this last week, so I didn't get to write my as many posts as I wanted, and I started to get fewer and fewer ideas for more posts until start didn't even want to write anything for a while. So like, if you write every day, you get more ideas. It's kind of like writing down your dreams. Have you ever done that? You start writing down your dreams, you suddenly start remembering a lot more dreams, and it's like, whoa, maybe I'll stop writing those down, they'll go away. But writing works the same way. Okay, we talked about this earlier, blogging and technical writing. I wanted to make this more relevant to technical writers. And this is a, from a post of, the, of a guy at Oracle, who actually I found because he linked to my blog in some, something, I oh, Help 2.0 was a term I used. I, I thought it was original until I realized it wasn't. And so but he linked to me, and I saw it, and, and I was reading his, his blog. And basically, he blogs about some Oracle widget, you know, that only a small subset of the population would even care about. Yeah. But, at least I think he does. And, uh, but he, through that, he becomes like this bridge for people to connect to him. And so he, there's a troubled customer who couldn't figure out something, and found him through his blog, and was, he was able to help the customer. So this is a way that I think technical writers could move. I'm not saying that by any means a lot of them have moved this way, but if you have a public product, and this is a big if, right? A lot of people just have private corporate products, but if you have a public product, you definitely want to get as much information about that onto Google so that people can find it. And, and when you do... If you have regular people rather than marketers, people respond a lot more than that. They like the human personal appeal, and they like the fact that you they can connect with somebody who actually works at a place. You don't have to submit an email to info.company.com or something and hope for a response. So it's a way, I think, in the future... <laughs> this isn't really one of my slides, but I did mention that I was going to talk about this. But I think in the future... The, the rate of blogging will increase so much that suddenly companies are going to realize that, man, we've got to get our word out there online because we're being drowned in a sea of other people's posts and, and information. And so I think in the future, companies will want their employees to blog as much as possible in a positive way about their products or in a real way about their products. And we haven't seen that really happen yet, but more and more companies are being... Uh, friendly to bloggers, yes? We do see, though, article marketing where companies are writing articles about themselves and then publishing the article sites. And then blogs can go out and take those articles and download them and, and post them to their blog and not have to write it themselves. Yeah. So you know, that, it's a, it's a mm. niche thing, but I think blogs and article marketing can kind of feed each other if, if you do it in a strategic way. I mean, you could take your Madcap article, publish it out to the, to the article sites, and then get hits back that way as people mm. hit that article site. That's an interesting strategy. So you're saying publish, publish content that people can readily take and use for their own for their yeah, own pieces. And, and especially in your case, where you're already writing product-oriented pieces. Yeah. Instead of just publishing them to your blog, you're also hitting the article market. Yeah. Zone. 
Forums? Yeah, it's okay. So the question is, what's the difference between forums and the engagement there versus blogging, right? right? Well, they're definitely both Web 2.0 type of activities where you have customers participating and interacting with other customers or people, real people connecting with other ordinary people. But the blog is different because you own all the content and it's, it's, it's more your own voice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you're saying what's the difference between a company having a forum versus a company having a blog? You know, I think there's a world of difference as well as a world of similarity. Um, the, the similarity, obviously, you have people giving people the ability to comment. They can ask questions. I've posted tons of things to the RoboHelp forum. I'm sure you guys have done the same to different forums. But a blog is like more style. You go to a forum because you want, you have a technical problem you can't figure out or something usually. But a, a blog can be more stylish. For example, Madcap just started a blog. One of their more polished, eloquent people. Sharon Burton, and if you go to her blog, she may have a, uh, I shouldn't say that, they're all really good people, I, I just was particularly impressed by her, but uh, she has posts about topic-oriented authoring, they're more like essays, little mini essays, and little more creative pieces, whereas forums are more like, how do I do this, will you do this and that, more like technical how-to and troubleshooting, troubleshooting. versus like mini essays and more creative personal pieces. But but definitely a company that has a forum, wow, that's great. I mean, if you don't have a forum and you have a software product that has a lot of users, well, I don't know how you manage that. Well, sometimes you go to some companies' uh, websites and they say, you know, like you go to, obviously it's a public for instance, I don't know if they have one, but I'm sure they do. You go up and you say, okay, I want to know how come this won't work with this widget, you know? And you, you, so you go out and they say, oh, go look in the forum. You know, somebody's probably talked about that before. So then you run out to their forum, their company forum, you're running through, sifting through, has anybody had a pro- you know, problem with this, working with this widget? And then hopefully they have. And if they have, then you go read their answer. Um, so in that respect, I mean, I've used forums. You know, yeah. Just, you know, well. And I guess I just didn't know really what it Yeah, it really depends on the focus of your blog. Ben, do you want to... Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think when it comes to technical forums, maybe there's a wider difference. But my wife, um, she'll go to a. She she really likes horses. We owned a horse up until recently, and she she found this horse site where there's forums on there. People will say, people start threads like, um, you know, who's got the picture of the dirtiest horse, or you know, just weird things like <laughs> that, where they where they do kind of mm. these little themed things, or someone will post something and in order mm. to start a discussion where it's not. Yeah. They're not. Some people do say, well, my horse is having this problem where I'm trying to figure this out. So there are some so of those kinds of troubleshooting things with an animal, but there are some other topics or threads that get started that are people just having yeah. fun going first in responses and trying to see what everybody thinks about. So some forums are more kind of like group blogs almost or group group communities rather than just troubleshooting. 
so they yeah. come together a little bit more. Definitely. Like yeah, and a lot of the lines between things are really blurred. For example, did you know that the New York Times uses a WordPress blog to publish everything? I, I imagine it's quite uh, you know modified or something, but they use WordPress. And a lot of times in, in people's columns, you can comment on them. Like in KSL, you can comment on that. Does that make KSL like a blog sort of newspaper? You know, lines get really blurry about what it is. And I think just in general, mainstream media is beginning to incorporate more blog-like functions. RSS feeds for articles, comments. That's an awesome example because it, it takes the, the concept of the op-ed page, which is as old as newspapers, and just explodes it. You know, through the internet, every blog is an op-ed page, and, and every newspaper has comments on every article, and that's that's unheard of. Yeah, I mean, two years ago that would have been like a radical move. Now it's like, oh yeah, look at all these crazy comments. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, um, what time is that? I don't want to extend people too far. Twenty minutes after eight. Twenty minutes after eight. Okay, I'll, I'll stop at eight thirty. Now this is. This is one, this is a slide, this actually is from a picture from The Onion. So it's a total, the guy is totally, I don't know where they get their images, but he's kind of posed. So if you think of the classic leader, the guy who's like the chief executive officer of some cool company, you'd think he'd have great ideas to blog about. You think because he goes to strategic meetings, he's the one who's making the new policies and going abroad with whatever, and he's got these you know bold new ideas but i don't think they make very good bloggers because by and large business executives aren't writers blogging is a writing medium and and when these guys who have excelled in so many things and this is what my wife's comment actually so i'm stealing it from her we had this conversation a while ago when business executives sit down and try to write not all of them but a good majority of them probably recognize that they're terrible writers and they don't want to embarrass themselves in a, in a format and medium where they're not going to be the cool guy. They're going to be laughed at. In fact, um, yeah, you probably have edited things for your boss and thought, wow, if this goes out as is without my edit, he's going to be uh, kind of made fun of or something. I don't know. But I think blogging is one of those areas where this is the writer's time to dominate or to excel. Most of the people who are pro bloggers, they're really good writers. I mean, you read their content. For example, Darren Rouse. If you just Google the word Darren, you find this guy. As well as Rob, Robert. But you not find Pamela. <laughs> well, I don't know. The Pamela was the Pamela software. Oh, right, right. <laughs> um, so, so Darren Rouse, he, he is a pro blogger. He makes a six-figure income from blogging. He has like quite a few blogs and everybody goes to read how to do it from his site but the, my point is that the people who are good at it they're they're polished writers so that's why I think is a there's really a level playing field and one of the, one of the people left a comment one of the one of my readers Alan Hauser left a comment he said that the more interesting people the more interesting blogs are being written by non-leaders today and I think that's really the case it's an opportunity where Somebody who in the past maybe didn't have much of a voice, maybe you know you thought in the past you had to be a big name to suddenly publish in the New Yorker and get read and, and move ahead in your writing career and so forth. But blogs allow you to to write, to be read, and to 
to go past people who are way above you in corporate stature or whatever. And, and you can gain a following. And when you have a lot of readers, you can be a, like a power influencer. You can shape the way people get information. There's, uh, I find it ca- kind of funny because I've only been a tech writer for under five years. Before this, I was like a copywriter. And before that, I was a teacher and things. But uh, a lot of people find my blog just because I've written a lot on there and I, I end up in Google res- results. So people are coming to me for advice and saying, hey, for example, just today uh, in mid-afternoon, somebody wanted me to give them advice about how to write essay questions for candidates or something. And I'm thinking, why are you asking me? I have no, no clue. <laughs> Gave her my own advice anyway. But um, <laughs> other people are starting to ask me questions about like the field. A lot of students who, who have these assignments to go contact somebody who's a professional in their field, they, they Google technical writer or something, and they find me, and they like submit their questions. And so I respond, and now I'm, even though I consider myself like an amateur, I'm, I don't have 20, 30 years of technical authoring experience and have seen the change from RTF to HTML, like, you know, whatever. So, uh, but the amateurs are the ones who are shaping things now in the blogosphere, if you... If you have a good blog, you can become as important as you, you, you want to, you know, if you continue down that path. Kurt. Can I also add, you avoid the slush pile completely because you've, you've already posted. It's out there. No junior editor is going to look at your stuff and reject it after the first paragraph. You're out there. And then it's a matter of getting some readership. Yeah. But you're published. But you're published. Yeah. Your, your words are in stone. Well, internet stone. It, Cyber stone. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't take too many, too many people to respond. <laughs> it only takes a few comments to really make it feel worthwhile. I mean, you know, when you write a post and, and you, you suddenly have readership, it makes you feel good inside. It makes you feel like, wow, my, what I said meant something to somebody else. Whereas a lot of times you just don't see that in, in traditional print stuff. I mean, I had, last year I was really focusing on, like, longer essays, and I wrote a couple of articles that got published in the intercom and I thought wow this will be awesome everybody will read it and I'll be so famous and I got one comment like months afterward or weeks afterwards and nobody ever mentioned it except for like people who know me so there's a lot more satisfaction from blogs that's pretty much all I had to say and so oh I do have a bunch of other stuff but I feel like I got through the bulk of it and uh, does anybody have any questions or, or things? March. I have one question that my, that my husband, who is in Korea, yeah. he's a blogger, he wants to know if um, he can use some other authoring tool and still be on Blogger, or does he have to use their resident? No, you can. I'm trying to think of the name. Like It's like WordPress Jet, or not WordPress, or WordJet or JetSmith or something. There's lots of tools that you download to your to your own computer, your laptop, you write your posts there, and then you, it like interfaces with whatever blogging platform you have and publishes them. Okay. I'll try to figure out the name of that, but I, I think there's... Think there's a Word plugin that connects to the blog. Oh, really? You could write in Word and then upload it to Oh, you're right. In Word 2007. Yeah. Although, sometimes, you might want to make sure the formatting looks the same, you know? Well, didn't we say Word? I think we said Word. Yeah. Make yeah. sure the <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. If, that's kind of I don't want to be as be known as one who is advocating using Word to publish a blogger, but but there is. <laughs> yeah. 
but but yeah and you know i write my posts in word to be honest while i'm on the train a lot of times because a lot of these blogging platforms like for example you hit what is it control delete you want to hit the you want to clear the entire word and manipulate text and move it around quickly it it doesn't work like that so whatever whatever you use to usually write things that you're really comfortable with compose your post in that then maybe paste it in notepad so you don't get a bunch of junky code and then then (laughs) upload it or just author write in the tool I mean it depends if you're going to sit down and write something for now you could spend five hours on a post. I mean, it's not like that's unheard of. And some of the more prominent bloggers say that that's how long they spend. But if you're going to throw out a post in half hour, hour, yeah, it's not worth it to, to use a separate authoring tool. But, but, there, but there are alternatives. Yeah. MindJet, I think. No, maybe it's MindJet. Not sure. I know the word Jet's in there, I think. Yes. Have you um, had any experience with iWeb or developing a blogging tool? Hmm. Sites, if that's, um, on Who? The Mac platform. It's part of Apple uh, iWorks. It's kind of an office equivalent. I haven't had any experience with it. I haven't heard too much about it, though. I don't Did think our interactive designers. Yeah, you can't. Well, either. one of the drawbacks is if you publish a site that you build and you have yeah. blogs in there, it only works on a Mac. Oh. So. Well, that's kind of limiting. About, but I was just wondering if you had yeah. maybe if there's because it's really cool and it's graphical. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, templates and CSS and everything. iWeb, huh? I I haven't. I'm I I use a PC rather than a Mac, so I I'm not really that familiar with all of them. But but I mean, if you're going to limit yourself to just Mac readers, ah, uh, you don't want to do that. But no, I'm I'm by platform. Yeah. Well, that's perfectly <laughs> <laughs> valid lifestyle choice. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> anybody remember Seinfeld? Yeah. yeah. That episode. <laughs> Doesn't Mac user try to be like really? I mean, I'm surprised they have some fun now. It is. is it there's some font issues. They appear bolder in a web uh, like Internet Explorer or a PC based browser. The DHTML authoring and everything else is really good. I really like it. But the blogs won't public. Oh, you can't view them on a and hmm. it says that right when you <laughs> publish the site. Wow. Like, oh, okay. So I'm pretty new to blogging. I don't know. I've read some. I haven't really done any. I'm more of a forum person myself. Yeah. You have to yeah. be careful. Even, like, between Firefox and IE, like, if you, like, I don't know if it's just with WordPress, maybe bloggers. I like blogger. I think bloggers easy. I don't like code. But yeah, yeah. even between those two browsers, things will look different, you know? Yeah. Like, on yeah, definitely. Definitely, your browsers are going to make a big difference in how things are displayed. Any other questions? Well, you know, if you have questions, feel free to email me. Let me put my contact info at the. Yeah, look at all those slides you were spared. I have a question. Oh, Kurt. <laughs> okay, at the very beginning, you said that basically, it's it's like writers on top. Yeah. As far as blogging goes, because we've already got the innate writing skills. Yeah. But there is this tricky CSS stuff and the code, and, and I know that you can you can use a client and get around the code and, and go straight into the writing and then just dump it into your style that's already built in and choose one of the default styles. And then it looks a little cheesy, but it's easy, right? Yeah. At what point do you have to rev up your CSS skills in order to make your mm-hmm. blog stand out? Well, you bring up a good point. So your question is basically at what point do you have to be a techie to really have to take off on your blog or what? Yes, I think that's the crux of my question. All right. So, well, this you mentioned CSS. So, 
that is the that is the the language to learn for for the web, and especially for WordPress, because the whole thing is styled with CSS. And um, I think if I were, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to make my blog look a certain way. And if I were to go back in time, I would say, you know what, Tom, you are a, are a writer. Focus on your strengths and buy a professionally designed theme for $79 rather than spend four days uh, all through the night trying to get things to look right. However, you're going to have tweaks that you want to make because people who design stuff, it's not going to look, exa- the font's going to be too small, you know, you're going to want to do some tweak. I, I recommend learning it. And uh, there is a great plugin, and I think anybody who uses CSS a lot knows this, but Firefox has a web developer extension that allows you to basically uh, highlight a section of a page and then it tells you in the margin exactly what CSS code is driving that. And, and by and large, I don't see how somebody could really style something without one of those tools. There's another one called like Firebug or something. But yeah, definitely, definitely learn CSS even a little bit so that you can tinker around and make adjustments. But I would just buy a theme to be honest. Awesome. And I, I haven't done that yet, but I eventually will. Your, your site looks awesome. So oh, thanks. So I, I well, I didn't design it. You know, you get all these themes for free. I just tweaked it a little bit, as I was saying. But yeah, WordPress, you can download any theme pretty much for free and put it on your site. So there's a lot of advantages with that. Yeah, my site is I'dRatherBeWriting.com. You can just Google Tom Johnson, and I'll be on the first page. There are a lot of Tom Johnsons in the world, so can't, not, not everyone can say that. <laughs> but you can, you can add me as a friend in your Google Talk, and you'll see all my shared posts. So if you just send an email to TomJohnson1492. And uh, feel free to email me questions. I'd be happy to follow up with anything that you have. So thank you. We'll see how this recording...